Welcome to American Redemption, the show where the next generation of American patriots learn to fight back in America's toughest cultural battles. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to American Redemption. This is episode 24. Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing excellent. We have a very exciting episode today. We have a guest, uh, Austin Peck, is on with us today. Austin, how are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. I'm awesome. awesome. Great. A lot of, a lot of awesome high energy in the mo- here. I'm awesome, in, I'm awesome in the moment. <laughs> I don't perfect. know. Ask me in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> We're starting off with a lot of energy, though, so that's good. So, Austin, I met Austin at the March for Life just a couple of months ago, and since then we've been training some jujitsu and some boxing together, and I'll see him at mass occasionally as well. And I wanted to bring you on the podcast because on the first day I met you, you, you just told me a little about your story. And it was, it was so interesting to me. You've been all over the place and had a, a very interesting journey. And I, I think it would be good for our listeners to hear that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, okay. It all started. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, <clears throat> long, see, long time ago. Uh, in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> uh, well, I'm an actor by trade. I've been doing it since I was six, six actually, but really my career started when I was 16. So I think in a cer- certain sense to, to be, um, um, I was baptized a Catholic, but that was on the pressure of my, my grandparents uh, to my parents. I think my parents kind of fell away. Um, I'm not exactly sure when, but there was very little to no religious upbringing. Um, <clears throat> but did you know that you'd been baptized? Oh yeah. I mean, that was, that was something, yeah, I was baptized. So, so it wasn't, it wasn't, um, like that wasn't like a, uh, kept, you know, my parents didn't push any kind of religion on me at all. My parents divorced when I was four my, and uh, my mother, moved us my father was in the military and my father moved us to california and then she started to pursue a career in entertainment uh and then uh by the time i was eight we moved to hollywood you know so we walk out look up and there was the hollywood sign and so but we moved a lot because it's a very i mean it was at a time when not a lot of people were having kids (laughs) as actors so my mom had a lot of actor friends and and uh, she was the only one that had kids. So being around that environment and, you know, artistic and, um, you know, performer environment was common for me. Uh, and, you know, growing up, like we lived right up the street from the Celebrity Center, you know, which is like the hub of Scientology and or one of them in, in Los Angeles. And I remember when they bought the place, we're like, who are those people, you know? And uh, it was a very strange kind of environment that they created there. Uh, so we, we moved a lot and then, um, you know, from and all around the West side, if you know, LA, it's like the LA basin on the other side of the Hills, the Hollywood Hills is like the San Fernando Valley. And you have like the, the West side, which is like what everyone thinks about when they think about LA, like Hollywood all the way down to the beach. And so that's basically was my stomping ground growing up and, um, because my mother was, you know, in the entertainment industry, I kind of dibbled and dabbled in it, but really, uh, completely apart from her, I was approached on the street at 16 and said, Hey, would you want to do this? It's like, sure. Why not? And, uh, I got, uh, my first commercial, uh, cause I was going to go into the military because I was a horrible student and I just thought, well, maybe that's where I can get some direction and find myself. And uh, then this entertainment industry came back kind of like in force in my life. And I got my first commercial, which was a Kellogg's Pop-Tart commercial. And then once you're like, by the time it aired, I was 17 and you're getting residuals for like five grand. You're, 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 it's probably impossible not to think, okay, I've chosen the right profession. And and then one thing kind of led to another and it was like, you know, auditioning. And then I went in more into the fashion route into doing modeling. And that took me outside of, that took me overseas and then settled me in New York. 
And it was kind of, I guess you could say the lesser of two evils, which is strange to think of, but that was really the, the reality because if I had, if I had fame and money and all that kind of stuff that comes with a certain level of notoriety that we had known that Hollywood's known for, I think that would have destroyed me. So I think it was Providence that led me away from it. And then, you know, in that fashion industry, I actually really enjoyed myself. It's a very vapid thing, but I enjoyed myself and traveled a lot and met a lot of really interesting people. But what it did is it got me thinking about humanity very in a very intense way because why did I feel the way I felt? And I'm amongst people, but people in Europe and people in the States and all over the place and everyone's people, but why is it that I feel so disconnected? And then that led me to search for spirituality and very much like a California granola way, kind of pick and choose my own thing. But I had the audacity to kind of think, okay, God was knowable and that believing it's God was God, then God could tell me who God is, not knowing. And then I got to the crossroad of Christ and I took it and I became like born again Christian. And then I didn't even know what the word theology meant. And I went to a church that said it's a Bible believing church. And I was like, okay. And then, but then it was like, man, all they talk about is like money. Hmm. And so I became introduced to, you know, theology and as a, as a Protestant, all you have is the Bible. So, but then again, you know, and I, all I did, I mean, I really dove in and, Oh, you know, also say I got, I went from New York and I got on days of our lives, soap opera. I was almost back in LA and that's when this conversion happened. And did I you was, find that people were kind of empty and shallow in these different industries in fashion and entertainment any more so than regular people? No, actually, no. I mean, the stereotype of, especially male models, there is a difference between female models and male models. And the funny thing in, in our, um, you know, equality, equity, kind of woke culture that's going on today, the, the fashion industry is you would work with a, with a, a, a girl and she'd be making two to three to four times more than you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. That's and, funny. It's like that soccer, the soccer league, they're now paying men and women the same amount, but they're, they don't care about that in the fashion industry, do they? Oh no. I mean, and, and we, and you know, of course we, as guys complained about it, but it, to no avail. Right. I mean, it makes uh, sense and, though. You can understand. Yeah, why. Right. We, yeah. It was, it was, it was kind of a like, Hey man, but, it's just the way it was. Yeah. And then on top of that, it's uh, it's like all like Zoolander and, you know, that's a parody. There's truth to it, but it's, I met some of the coolest people I've ever known in the, in the fashion is there were models like guys that were guys that were fighters, boxers, martial artists that were, went to med school, law school, you know, that had degrees, masters, um, highly educated. They just happened to kind of, they, they all fell into it. They just all like, everybody's story was the same to a degree. It was just, they just fell into it. And they were, how do you turn down? Okay, you want to travel, tell a young guy, hey, you want to make ridiculous money traveling the world, working with beautiful women, wearing clothes. Nah, I'm not in that. <laughs> nah, you know. And so, I mean, it's it it is it does come with its level of. We I've known some guys who've committed suicide because they probably what they did is they compromised themselves in certain ways. They were put in positions. They were they were preyed upon. That that does happen. But I think th they know who to prey upon, and. I was very fortunate to never be preyed upon because I think they kind of, they can tell in a way. I don't, I don't know how or why, but they can tell. I've known, you know, 
you know, models that broke people's noses because they touched them, you know? Um, and those became our heroes. It's like, dude, you hear about Gino? Huh. Gino, Gino broke Gabriel Vasquez's nose. We're like, he's our hero. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes and, and that's what it is. I think it's like, there's nothing, there's really nothing worse in re- socially in a sense to a degree to be a male model because everybody hates you. Really, truly. <laughs> you know? It's like what people hate lawyers, politicians, and male models. Well, I mean, no one's thinking about them, period. I mean, for good reason. But, you know, you're, you're getting paid to, to, to look a certain way wearing clothes in beautiful places. So how does one not kind of look at that from a certain perspective and then pass a judgment without, like, even, I think it's more subconscious. I don't think it's conscious, but upon somebody who, who does that for a living. And, and that's understandable, but it's also ignorant. And because most likely anybody given the opportunity to do that would do it. Uh, but yeah, it is a vapid thing. It is vapid. You know, it is, it, it does have that quality to it, but I had really good experiences. And then I was living in New York and then I got days of our lives and it seemed to be a good transition because model, I mean, I did that for eight years and then fashion, I mean, uh, the daytime community will definitely take, you know, act models that don't have credits simply based upon just how they look. Uh, so it was a good fit. Um, and it did, it did, of course it didn't hurt that I had the same name as the character, the first name, Austin. So it's convenient. Yeah, totally. And so during this time you're, you're Protestant still. Yeah. Um, I was, I, I, I started my kind of spiritual journey conscious in New York. And then I got days of our lives, which was a huge shift and change and moved to LA. And then I, my sister was communicating to me the the gospel and she's my only sibling. And I just couldn't get Jesus out of my mind i just couldn't get like he said well he claims to be god so is he god hmm. so i was at that crossroads so can i corroborate enough evidence to be able to take a step of faith because of course faith must be involved and i did and then it was confirmed by an emotional experience a really intense knowing and emotional experience that a lot of quote-unquote born-again christians have so I had the stereotypical born-again experience. And then I didn't know much about theology, and then I was learning and learning and learning and realizing that a lot of stuff that I was learning going over different churches was like, this doesn't really seem to fit with what I'm reading. And then, then my sister becomes a Catholic. And I was like, oh, man. And I start learning Catholic theology along the way, meeting mainly ex-Catholics or Catholics that don't seem to know anything about their faith. So meeting ex-Catholics who telling me how erroneous Catholicism is along with meeting Catholics who don't seem to have any care for their faith, but they claim to be Catholic didn't really help. But I still was learning the theology. It was a 15 year journey. So I was learning the theology that Protestantism always tried to answer but it never seemed to truly fit and the catholic the catholic answers did and you know fast forward i got to that crossroad of the church's claim to be the church that christ established can that be corroborated take a step of faith and it can be and i did and now i find myself where i am now you know, so what was it, what was it like becoming a Christian while we're still working in Hollywood and and the entertainment industry? How did people treat you? Well, how did people treat me? They tolerated me. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it depends. I think it depends upon the kind of personality you are, right? Because I was so, because of, I think my personality, people are like, oh, oh, he's one of those. And if people got to know me, they may not agree with me, but they saw that I was coming from a good place because I believed it. And, and I could tell that I wanted what, what I wanted was what was good for them. I did have some people stab me in the back. Right. Um, but that was very rare. Um, but also I'm not, I'm the kind of person that if I, if someone is attacking me, I'll attack twice as hard. So whereas like, I would be more than willing to discuss the issue till like five o'clock in the morning. And so no one, I was never a victim of anything. I think I was just tolerated. And if I would guess, maybe talked back, talked about behind my back. Interesting. Now, when was this? This was the two thousands. No, this is in the nineties. Nineties. Okay. Now just as an outsider, it seems like it's only gotten worse. Oh, and, I, I think it would be much different today. Yeah. Much different today. Yeah. Much, much worse, I'm sure. Yeah. So who knows if there's even any Christians left in, in that world? There, uh, oh, there are. Oh, oh, there are. It's, LA is a very kooky world. You know, I mean, everything is dictated by the entertainment industry. So people go there to become someone, Right. Like the difference, LA and New York are very similar cities, but they're so polar opposite. Like geographically, New York is up and LA is spread out. So, yeah. but there's very, there's where New York is really high paced and uptight and intense. LA is like really laid back and like whatever kind of thing. Um, but there's almost like in the polar opposites, this is very much the same. Like people in LA go out to be seen and seen people in New York go out to have a good time. And, but in a, in a way, there are just kind of like different sides of the same coin. There's snobbery on both sides. So when you're looking at LA and, and the entertainment industry, it, 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 people are there because they want to be God, right? Hmm. You know, and, and in New York is the same way. It's just in a different way. People want to be, people in New York go to make some of the themselves. Usually it's money. People in LA go to make something. Usually, it's become an idol. Oh, interesting! Money and fame. Yeah, yeah it's, to be, it's to it's become a god, you know. And that's I mean, look, American Idol. Yeah, you know, it's right there in the name. Yeah, yeah. Too, I mean, I went so to like a, I went to like a Hollywood Bible study right on Sunset, and it had a VIP section. Yeah. Wow. That seems, <laughs> right. Seems I mean, not so right. Doesn't that tell uh, you something? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I really dove into that world. So I got to meet some high-profile pastors, evangel, you know, evangelists and stuff, and you know, people that were in that world. And you know, it's it's a it's a little weird. It's a little weird. It's it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, that's so foreign to me. Just that's crazy. VIP section at a Bible study. I mean, that's, uh, can you, and then can they're you, reading about the Pharisees. Awesome. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that? What do you mean by it's uncomfortable? Well, it's, it's, it's like one of the reasons why I got um, started like just searching, I guess, by God's grace and how kind of God spoke to me was, why do I feel like, why do I feel so, I, here I am in a, in a sea of people, whether it be in a club yeah. or an environment or wherever. And I would just kind of sit back and look at humanity. I'm like, why do I feel not connected? Right. And so that kind of human question really made me think something's wrong with humanity. You know, something's wrong with me. You know, we're all human. Yeah. We're all human, but why are we all acting like we're not a part of this? Like dealing with the same stuff, and then to find out, like then when I then when I find Christ, I'm like, that's it has it answers all that. 
questions. Like, this is why there's a thing called sin. It's a sickness. It's a soul. It's the sickness of the soul, of the mind, of the heart, of the body. I mean, it's sickness. And it answers the questions. And so I'm like, okay. So then you're like, okay, now that he, okay. So now we're in agreement. Well, you see the same thing I see. You see the, ah, okay, great. And then, and then to find out like, oh man, you're no different. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're no different. Like you're just like, you're pursuing the same thing, but you're just now you're like using Christ, you know, as a business model. Yeah. That's, that's really crazy. And I, I, I love hearing your perspective on it because it, it just on a larger scale, you were going around the world, going around the, the, the country. Uh, I, I have a similar, you know, story, but it's within like the university system where a- Andrew and I met and I'm looking around at all these uh, people, similar situation and it's like yeah what's uh why is everyone just acting a particular way or is why everyone just okay with this so i i think it's it's interesting that you had almost the exact same yeah uh, perspective that that i did it's like well something's wrong here and i was baptized catholic as well so i was a cradle catholic and then i had to kind of you know, go into the secular world and experience some things and be like, oh, that's why everyone I'm around is like miserable because they have they they don't know Christ and they have no mission. They have no uh, uh, purpose and they're trying to use other things, you know, trying to put like uh, uh, a round peg in a in a square uh, hole type of uh, type of situation. So I, I just enjoy the uh the the parallels there because it's like yeah once once you find christ I mean, he's kind of the he's kind of the he's, he is the missing piece of the yeah, he's the he's yeah yeah and he's also the equalizer yeah you know i mean sure i think he's supposed to be the equalizer right i mean he's yeah. supposed to and then you realize like wow man it's just this is the same stuff and which is really uh it's really bummer (laughs) you know it's like man can't like can't we all acknowledge the same stuff and but then you know i mean i tell you what i really i really believe for me that when i became a catholic i really believe that's kind of when i became a christian when you first you know became protestant did you make any changes to your life or was it just kind of like i go to bible study sometimes but you're living the same way well, the answer is yes, I did. Like I stopped cussing because one, one of the things I realized is like, man, I cuss a lot, like a lot. And I couldn't stop. And then I became, and then I took that step of faith and I stopped. There was other things, you know, like it became accountable to the moral law. But, but what I found was it was really based upon the individual's kind of what do you what is the word i'm looking for like it's kind of subjective yeah you know like yeah i mean ultimately like you would you would go well that's not biblical right and then i would go to like i you know i mean i dove in like i dove in you know i mean when you're in your car all the time in la but i would listen to christian radio and la is not the best radio in the world and I would listen to Christian radio, talk radio. And so, you know, famous Chuck Swindoll, uh, you know, uh, Greg, someone. So what is that? I can't remember. Anyway, all these really famous pastors that were on the radio all the time and really learned a lot. I mean, so all I did, and then I was going to Bible studies constantly. And there's a very, very vibrant Christian community, but they're again, Hollywood Bible study VIP section. So it's kind of kooky. And, but in that you have a lot of real deep sincerity and faith, but there's no authority, right? Everyone, like you go to a Bible study and it was like, what you hear, I've always said to a lot of people, if you ever go to a Bible study, take your favorite bottle of 
whatever liquor you like and take a shot every time you hear the two phrases, I think and I feel, you'll be wasted in 10 minutes. <laughs> and, and, and that's the truth. And because everybody is like, well, we'll agree to disagree. You know, they, and then there's somebody gets to lead it. And you're going, well, why are you leading? You know, like, like, so God is like revealing to you. And I was one of those people. I had a Bible study in my home. I mean, I remember like I met this guy <laughs> at the, on the NBC lot and um, in one of the studios and we were talking and, and somebody introduced me to him and I was having a Bible study in my house, but I was leading it, but I was just really horrible at it. And, and I just said, I just stopped doing it. And, but I still liked having people at my my home and talking about God. So he said, Hey, oh, I'm, I'm from Texas. And he's, it was a youth pastor. I'm like, Oh, cool. And so I'm looking for a place to do a Bible study. I'm like, you come to my house. So he did. And he brought his family and it was the Simpsons. It was Joe and Lisa and Jessica and Tina Simpson, Jessica Simpson, Ashley Simpson. And, um, and this is before they got famous. And it was pretty cool. Like, you know, a lot of people showed up and the next thing you know, I'm like, wow, they like blew up, right? They just totally blew up. And then next time I used to meet Joe on a, you know, weekly basis and it's a real deep dude. And then, and then I saw him when I was going through a hard time and he was killing it and he had no interest, right? He had no interest. So, it's a in in anything having to do with me and so you know la is a very a lot of bells and whistles you know it's a lot the golden ring i mean it's it's like you know satan takes you up on top of that hill and i go all this has been given to me bow down and worship me and i'll give it to you and he means it but he's not going to give it you know he's not going to give it to you in the manner and the way in which you think because there's a price to pay. What is that price? I think your soul. Yeah. I really do. I really think it's your soul. I really think, I think it's your soul. It doesn't mean you can't sell what you don't own. So the whole concept of selling your soul is, I think is really erroneous, but yeah. he could definitely make you think you have. And if you think, if you think you have and you believe it, you know, and, and you don't repent because you believe his lie, then, then that may be exactly what happens is you go to hell because you know, don't you think you're beyond redemption? You know, it's a very dangerous thing. And it's a very, it's a very, it's a very dangerous thing to be a, a believer. I mean, like I met Jim Caviezel. I was, he's, he's one of my heroes for good reason. And I think more because he has maintained his faith in, in a place that it just seems like, how in the world do you do that? Right. Um, he's really an anomaly. And um, I think he's, you know, from the outside, he's think he's, I think he's exactly what you see him to be. And, um, and I just met him for like five minutes, but I don't know the guy, but I do know that I do know his career. I do know the stories and we had the same agent at one time and it was, you know, so, and it was right around the time of the passion so I heard the story before it became known about how he got it. And it, it, he's just like, but he's a, like, that is a rare thing. It's a very rare thing. I mean, Hollywood is filled with people who go there with this desire to change it for Jesus. Mm. And, and I, <laughs> I used to think I'm going to win an Academy Award for Jesus. <laughs> You know, I mean, come on, man. You know, I mean, this is ridiculous. So I guess it it's too far gone. And really, maybe the uh, if we're going to have entertainment, which every everyone wants some entertainment, I guess it's got to be a, a parallel in, uh, industry, something completely new, separate. No, I really don't. I, I really, I, I don't believe that. I just think, I just think what happened is like, to me, I, my, my, my opinion the most in the most people are there's nothing special about me i mean my ego and my pride will tell me that there is but the faith christ 
will literally like squat squashes that on a daily basis because pride, you know, the, the punishment for pride is humiliation. So I experienced that a lot and trying to embrace the grace and the blessing and the mercy of that, but it's not easy to do when you're as prideful as I am. But the, the most impactful industry in the world is the entertainment industry. If we want to know why morally we are, I mean, listen, I mean, way back in the times of Noah, they didn't have, they didn't have Netflix, right? They didn't have Netflix. They didn't have Netflix. They didn't have HBO. They didn't have any of this stuff. So getting people to sin has never been anything new. But if you look at a certain level of property, if I was the devil, I would totally own the industry too. I would focus. I would be like, okay, all you demons <laughs> go there and do this, right? I would do exactly what he's doing. And it's by, it's the, it's the frog in the pot. It's the slow boil of immorality. And, and, you know, what frustrates me is how people in some sense discount it, discount it at the same time that they're totally influenced by it. Yeah. I think that's a great point. It's so influential and we can, you can go back and, and look at stuff from the nineties and see how it led to where we are today with like the LGBT culture and the trans stuff. They were cooking that up a long time ago by slowly introducing and normalizing like first homosexuality and promiscuity and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, how did we, how do we go? Like, I remember when they were going to redefine gay marriage. I mean, that, that was a really difficult thing for me in my con- initial conversion, which was, I had so many friends that were living a lifestyle and they are dear friends. They're dear friends of mine, you know? So I was like, had to accept that. And finally it got to that point, but being, being in the modeling industry, I just realized, man, everything is about sex. Everything. It's like, you can't escape it. I was like, this is crazy. You know, I was like, everything is dictated by that. And, and this is before thinking about God. It was just like, this is obsession. And, and I'm not, and I, believe me, I, I realized it wasn't until I was a Catholic, I realized I was in this total hedonist. I was just saying, that's exactly what it was. The hedonist, I was a hedonist as a Protestant. And there's a, the problem with Protestantism is it really does kind of, kind of enable hedonistic behavior theologically because, well, there is no authority. People say, well, it's biblical. Well, when I read the Bible, I see this, you know, it's like, so I, I mean, it's okay because I, we can, you know, we have to be in the world, but not of the world. And in order for me to really relate to these like really rich people, I got to drive a Porsche, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, doesn't, doesn't Paul talk about like you, you know, making a living by the gospel yeah, but is he really talking about living a $10 million home? <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you really have to be chauffeured around in a Rolls Royce and have a private jet? I mean, is that really what you read? And, there, you know, I believe me, I've got conversations with some of my friends still are justifying the prosperity gospel, right? And I'm like, um, I don't really see that there, guys. So, and the, but the, now I go, I have the authority of the church by which to say that's not cool. Well, I'm totally against that. Like, okay. Well, how do you how do you know you're getting it right? How do you know, right? So. Yeah, that's the thing. You never know. You never know what's right, and and that's why we are we're guided by the church. We can we might not know everything. We might have problems with, with what the church teaches, but that's often our own pride getting in the way. You know, there's there's many teachings I've had problems with, but it's usually a pride thing. Yeah. Yeah. So Austin, let's say that you've inspired someone that wants to be like you and (laughs) wants, wants, wants to dive into what you first started studying when you decided to study Catholic theology and learn about Catholicism. Where was the first place you went? Well, I mean, actually, it was my sister who started to share the theology did, with me did, did she recommend something to you in particular or was it just kind of picking her brain and then doing, no well, it was, research it was on just, your own time well it really what it does it was just like her personality right um you guys have a good relationship 
Yeah, yeah. She's my only sibling. We talk every day. I mean, she basically raised me. Um, so, yeah, uh, it was it was um, it was her sharing, it, challenging my theological uh, security you know, and with what she discovered, because it was a very revolutionary thing for her to go through. And once she kind of accepted the church on the church's terms, you know, she was like, well, I'm going to share this with my brother who she basically, like, again, like she raised me. So in many ways, in many ways, but, um, so what, what, what it, but I was already, like I was going to a church and I remember it was Easter Sunday, right? It was a, it was a Bible believing born again church. Right. And, and I was already like, man, this pastor talks a lot about money. And I realized, well, okay. And 80% of the scriptures he used were old Testament scriptures. But when I read the words of Christ, I hear a totally different theology. And it's just a different perspective. It doesn't really seem to fit. And then it was Easter Sunday and they sh he showed the, you know, after the, you know, the dancers got off the stage because it was in a converted theater, Hollywood, right? <laughs> and no, seriously, the dancers got off the stage and um, they showed his wife's acting reel. This is Easter Sunday. And I'm like, what in the world? And, <laughs> and, and then he rolls down the aisle in a golf cart and they put all the, this luggage up on stage and he proceeds to tell a, um, give a, uh, a, a talk about how we all, you know, have baggage in our life need to let go. Not one mention of Christ dying on the cross. And, and, and I, I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Of course I brought it up and then I was, you know, oh, you're just being critical, judgmental. I mean, give me, a, I mean, without Christ dying on the cross, we'd have no faith. So it's just, this is a given. I'm like, yeah, but, but what was the point of her acting real, wearing the Daisy Dukes on Dukes of Hazard? I mean, like, what, what, why do we need to see that? Right. I was just like, and, 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 you know, it was a lot of experiences that I had like that. Now, all Meeting the Protestant us. churches you went to were like the Hollywood, born again, Christian, mega church kind of ones, or did you ever go to? No, no, or? no. Then I started went. To, I went to like I went to uh, uh, Bel Air Bel Air Presbyterian, which is very conservative. Then I went more conservative route. Now I don't know. I didn't know what Calvinism was when I was going to Presbyterian church because it was never explained to me. I didn't realize what Calvinism was until I became a Catholic, yeah. and I'm like, that's what that is. I'm like, are you out of your what? And so, yeah, well, that's, I'm sure that was very different. And I do want to give, we, we love our, our Protestant friends and we, you know, if we believe we have the fullness of truth with the Catholic church, they at least have the vast majority of the truth. And, and there's a lot of very strong Christian conservatives who come from. Well, there. I, you know, I am noticing, I'm, I am noticing based upon just like YouTube, there is a lot of, there is a very strong movement and I was a part of that movement. Right. I was a part of that movement. There's a very strong movement going on in the evangelical world and in the Protestant world that is really taking some hard lines on things and looking at things. I mean, I, while I was a Protestant, I started to really question a lot of, and this is basically, I mean, it was the Bible that led me to the Catholic faith. Right. And that's what led me there. And so one of them was, is I realized like this was something that was very profound was I would ask like, if I, when I die and I'm faced with God and he says, well, why should I let you in here? And my response would be because you died for me, because you love me, because you're my God, because you're my father and you died for me and you love me. And, and, and I, I believe in, in your sacrifice. Now, that makes a lot of sense. It really does. And it made a lot of sense to me for a very long time. The only problem is, is that that kind of concept kind of enabled me to live a certain way without accountability. And then, and then, and then 
I started to hear in response to my internal story about that, about that question, then why did you keep sinning? If I died for you, then why did you keep sinning? And there's scripture that can absolutely support the premise that we are beholden to purity, holiness, and, and at, the, at, the, at, at a cost. And, and, that, and we're responsible for our action. So I am noticing among a lot of Protestant circles where they're really starting to take a much more intense stance towards the holiness and actions of the will in relation to the commandments. And, and so I can only recognize that as God working among, you know, those people. Um, and, and that's, and that's, that's, that can be nothing but a positive thing. Now I want to talk a little bit more about the, the impact of media like we were talking about earlier. So, you know, everything coming out of Hollywood and of the music industry are these terrible, evil influences in, in many ways. But what do we do about it? You know, is it even effective? Is it even realistic to just say, I'm just not going to partake in this stuff at all? This, I mean, I don't think that works that well. I don't think it's very realistic. I mean, I think that's, I think that's a really fantastic question. Um, like I have teenagers and I have a six and nine-year-old. My six and nine-year-olds have already been exposed to popular culture. There's some that take the stance of this complete bubblefication. <laughs> that's not even a word, but it's to, it's to bubble-fy your children. Put the, wrap them in bubble wrap. <laughs> and maybe that is the thing to do. I do not know. But considering where I live, the environments around, the kids that are in my neighborhood, the families that are here, it's not like they're in line with me. They're good people. In many ways, I think they're far better than me. Um, but there is a certain awareness that they don't have based upon what is made available to their children. So, so I say to my kids, okay, like, like having a phone, you know, I tell my daughters, I said, listen, if you're ever waiting to get a phone, you know, don't hold your breath. I'm not going to get you a phone. I don't care whether you ever have a phone. I've even told my daughters, have you ever concerned about whether you get to watch something on the TV and you're going to cry about it? I said, I would sooner rip that thing off this off the wall and throw it away. I don't, I, I don't care whether you ever watch TV ever again. It's a very limited time frame, but which I give them, and I'm very careful about what they watch. And the reason why is because it's it's like I'm not special. I just been behind the scenes watching the magic act set up on stage. So I'm seeing and I'm watching the magic act set up on stage. And I'm like, Oh man, that's how they do that. And then I sit and I watch the magic act with everybody else in the audience, but I know when and where to look. And I'm like, man, it's so obvious. I, but only because I saw it. Not because I'm special. I just saw it. I just had to be a witness. And so when I watch TV, right, I hear things and see things that become very obvious. So I'm careful. And, and when we, I think what people really need to start realizing is that when, and, and the powers that be know this, they know this, is that when you view things on, whether it be your phone or TV or movie, your brain switches and turns into a different state and you, you absorb subliminal messaging and they know this. So they can start to implement things to sell you things, whether it be product or an ideology. And the people in Hollywood have a very clear ideology. Number one, they're hedonists. I mean, how do I know that? Because I'm a he I was a hedonist. 
and I still struggle with it. And so they're selling hedonism, live life for pleasure, the here and now. And anything that comes against that is to them evil. But that's the ideology that they're selling. That's a great point. You know, they get so mad when we stand up for our beliefs, when it comes for, you know, they're something hedonistic that they want to do. Maybe it's drugs or whatever. They react like we're just evil incarnate because that's that's their purpose. Hedonism is their purpose. Yeah, you're you're crazy for uh, for putting up a roadblock that says, yeah, I'm not going to mindlessly uh, consume forever because I have a I have a higher purpose. What's well, like how 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 dare you? You know what I mean? Or how dare you even mention the concept and idea of chastity? Yeah, right. I mean, like it's like it's almost like they it's it's like you just said. I think you need to 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 uh, cut your arms off. You know, they say they they respond that in in a way that's just so insane, you know, like, but, but it's, it makes so much sense. Like, I, I mean, my, my, my oldest son, as far as I know, I, I mean, I don't know about my other teenagers and stuff, but is, is chased maybe because I scared him. I don't know, but I just presented him the truth. I don't know whether he is or not. I know what he tells me, but you know, I could be wrong. I'm not stupid, but I mean, maybe I can't be, I don't know. but um, I said, okay, imagine you get, imagine, you, you know, you're with your girlfriend and you get her pregnant, right? Do you realize that if you get her pregnant and her culture and her family and whatever, let's say, well, she's not ready to, you're not going to get married. You're not ready to have a baby. So what, what are they going to do? I said, now you're just responsible for the murdering of a human being. I said, I said, you know, put that in your pipe and smoke it. You know, think about that. You wanted that on you. I said, is it? This is a great way. Stay away. Your your chastity is a gift that you end up giving. Because then my son presented me with something. He said, well, what do you do to? What, how do you communicate? to the culture where they've already been exposed to all this stuff. And they're, how do, I said, I'll tell you, kids are you know, young. The youth are naturally idealistic romantics. And that's why they fall into socialism and communism and, you know, Marxism so easily because on paper, it just sounds very romantic, but it's, it's void of realism. And, um, and they know that that's why, you know, and that's why they, the military recruit youth for a number of reasons. And one of them is because they don't really understand. Like, oh, go take that hill. <laughs> Whereas me, I'm like, wait a second. What's on the hill? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you wait, hold, wait, what? <laughs> like, can we do this a better way? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, and, but you, 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 you introduce them to the idea of, of like you're a gift that you're you're valuable your sexuality i mean your chastity your virginity your your body is a part of you it is who you are and you just want to share that your soul your personhood your your body with anybody and you want to give it away and it's right you become one but you know, for all those, I would say, for all those you've experienced it, how many times you've been left wanting after the experience? And then I've, I present, I, I said to my son, I said, "Listen, when you watch all these kids in high school and they're dating and all this stuff, what do you see them just constantly dealing with? It's like drama." I said, "Yeah." I said, "Because they're playing around with fire and they have no idea how to even light a match. Like they don't know how to deal and handle with it." It's a very powerful thing. And it's because they've been told that they're expendable. They've been told that they don't have worth, that that's not worth something, and that it should just be given and thrown away. But when you present to them another perspective, another way of looking at it, then they can go, wow, that's very interesting. I was like, I really like romanticizes, you know, you being a gift and then eventually unwrapping yourself you know, with your, with someone, with your partner, 
right? Um, and, and giving that to them in a union that is for life. So, I mean, you, you know, will that, will, will all kids buy that? No, absolutely not. You know, they'll be like, well, pfft, forget. If someone explained that to me, at one point, I was already too lost. So the idea of chastity was just terrible because I was so committed to the act of pleasure. But I did want it to be with that one person, right? It's just, it's a very nuanced thing. And the way the, the entertainment industry has sold it has been quite diabolically, it's genius in its nature. It's not hard, but it's genius because the way they have sold it, you know, living life virtuously is in holy, you know, seeking sanctity is the most difficult thing I've ever personally experienced. And I now when I was, when I was, before I was a Catholic, what I never really fully understood was we walk out our faith with fear and trembling. I never really got that because I was like, wait a second, you get our cake and eat it too. And then realizing like, oh no, this whole thing where you have to die to self <laughs> really actually is, it, it's true. And I'm like, I'm not good at that, but it doesn't mean that I have, I'm exempt from it. Yeah, man, being a, being a Christian and, and living a Christian life, it's, it's incredibly difficult. It's so hard. And something that uh, we've talked about before and something that, I think a lot of people have felt because there's a perfect parable for it in the Bible is that it's sometimes it can feel unfair to be someone who's, you know, had to do this, who's raised Christian and they're struggling with it their whole life. Right. And then there's like someone who can convert on their deathbed and get the same thing. It's that parable about the workers who the workers, they, get, they yeah. work all day. And then someone who yeah. came for the last half hour got paid the same amount. Right. But you know what? That's that is a really I tell you that's a that's probably one of the most dangerous ways to approach your faith because then you're falling into presumption and there is no guarantee that you'll be given that grace at the end of your life, especially right. if you're thinking about it consciously, right? Or odds even are, like what are the odds that you you know get hit by a bus and don't even know you you died versus dying slowly in your bed? Like that's a huge risk too. It's, it's such a, it's, it's, it's literally, I think it's playing eternal Russian roulette. I wouldn't, I, I, yeah. that's. No, I agree. It's know, a terrible, the, the, terrible philosophy. Another thing, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And, and that's another thing that really became so apparent to me once I realized that things were far more different uh, in, in reality uh, when it comes to faith than I ever knew. And so, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a scary thing. It's a, God is a very, God is exactly, he is loving, merciful. I mean, I say to my kids, if you ever question God's love for you, all you have to do is look at that crucifix that's on the wall. See that right there? That's what he did for you. Right there, right there. That's it. I said, he, if you don't, you don't ever have, if he never did anything for you, that he's shown you exactly what your worth is to him. Now the question is, how much do you love him? You know, and that that is the question for all for for me, for me, and and it's really it's really intense because the world is man, it's it's so full of bells and whistles. It's so full of, I mean, it's, it's, there's so many things that take you uh, to pull you away from God. If you, if there's so many things, it can, it can happen in spiritual pride, right? I mean, you could be, oh man, I'm a Catholic, I'm or a Christian, got the truth. Look at me. So great. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I have, yeah, I, I have it all figured out. So I don't need to make any more, uh, yeah, man. Any it's more like, God, changes. Exactly. Yeah. I'm in the family. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's, that's, like, that's such a, that's such a great point. Now, uh, something you mentioned earlier was about the, you know, TV, how you've seen stuff behind the scenes. And that made me think of something because, you know, my parents, 
were definitely mindful of what I watched, but I knew people whose parents were even stricter. And a big thing among like kids my age growing up was, you know, so-and-so is not allowed to watch SpongeBob or so-and-so is not allowed to watch Cartoon Network. What do you think is SpongeBob? Because I love SpongeBob. A lot of my friends, I I mean, a lot of parents were totally against it. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I mean, you know what I, my desire is this. I actually got into a good conversation yesterday. Three, two other men were all like, one of them was very, they don't even own a TV. His kids are all like seven years old and younger, six and younger. He's got like four. I was like, okay. And he's, he's talking about really, you know, like keeping all that from him. And the answer is yes. I mean, I keep that from him. I'm very mindful. This is the reason why I homeschool. Because with the way the world is, my kids go to school with all these other pa- families that have very different ideas. And they give their kids these the, the, this incredible weapon this this explosive thing is phone where they can look up on anything and all it takes is hey you know to one of my daughter look at this and then they've seen something that i really don't want them to see because i grew up in public school and way before phones cell phones and all the internet and i remember what kids talked about and this was way back in the 80s, I mean, 70s and 80s, right? 70s. So it's not like I'm ignorant. So my desire is, is I always like it, is if we lived in a jungle and in a village in a jungle, well, your kids are going to go exploring the jungle and you want them to. But are there things in a jungle that could kill you? Answer is yeah. So I go, okay. This plant is poisonous. This insect will kill you. This will, you know, these things you want to explain to them. Like mm-hmm. these things are dangerous. So you want them to know. Like this is why I believe what I believe. This yeah. is what the truth is. And I'm going to explain it to you. And I tell my, I tell my, my younger daughters and said, you know, you can question your faith. There's answers, right? There's answers. Yeah, that's a you great can approach. question. That's a great approach because if you don't do that, you end up with that that stereotype of the overly sheltered kid who who goes off to college and just swings, does a total one eighty and swings the other way. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I, that's, I know, that's I know a, a ton of friends. I, I have a ton of friends who, unfortunately, I I know that that happened to that they're they're. They, 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 exactly what you said, Andrew, they, they went and turned a total, uh, total 180 and kind of, uh, lost the plot. So yeah, I, I think there's a very fine line between, yeah. Uh, not letting, I guess, kids have, have everything, everything they want, but also like being aware, like, yes, these things are out there, but I'm telling you again, and you can tell, you can tell kids all day and night, like, this isn't like my first, uh, uh, my first rodeo and right. Yeah. But you have, you have to give them that, that kind of grounding for when they do or do experience it for the first time, them, uh, themselves, they're like, wow, everything, you know, my parents said was pretty much, vindicated. you know what I mean? Well, I, I, I think, I think in a lot of ways, I mean, I, what, what it is, and I ask, I ask my priest all the time, how in the world do I navigate? You know, and, I mean, his answer is, yeah, you do have to, you do have to protect them. You do have to keep things. And the answer is, I do. I mean, one thing I said to my daughters, I said, uh, when they, if they want to, you know, they have limited TV time, and um, they know I'm very careful about the way they watch. I mean, I watch my kids like a hawk, and and not like a hawk meaning. I don't let them explore and be and do, but meaning like I'm paying attention. Like I'm paying attention. I, when I, when they're talking, they're relating, I'm paying attention. When their kids are, I pay attention. That doesn't mean that I'm like, you know, 
trying to keep them from all harm. I mean, I, whenever they fall and they cut themselves, I'm like, oh, you got a war wound. I said, you know what? If you don't have scrapes and cuts and bruises growing up, it means you didn't, you didn't play hard enough. And, and so that's just going to be life. And they're going to be exposed to things. And one of the things I say is like, okay, you see this television show, right? You see how the dad, there's either one, there are no parents. You notice that? There's no parents. There's no parents. Where are all the parents? And then you notice how all the adults, if there are parents, they're usually stupid. You notice how it's a big, fat, stupid dad. If there is a dad, he's a big, goofy, stupid dad. And, and, and they end up, and I, and I say, you see that? And they'll, and they'll see it and they'll see it and they'll go, yeah, you're right. And then I, you know, and you know, I said, I said, what about this show? I said, okay, let's look at this. Well, they're talking about dating. I said, you know, you're like nine dating. What is that? What does that even mean? Dating what? Dating this, dating that. I mean, what is that even about? This is what that's about. And so they'll see that they become sensitive because, you know, they're going to, what am I going to do? Like I, I live in a, a neighborhood and there's like, on one, my one block alone, it's cul-de-sac. There's like 19 kids. No, you can't go outside and play with the kids. My kids are so social. If I need to discipline them, all I have to do is take away their social time. And that's like, ah, it's like death. Right. It's like, I'm like, I know what's important to you. Right. It's your social time. So I don't want to be like, no, you can't play with these people because they're not, they're not Christian. That's how do you think that's going to work out? And that's what I was trying to explain to one of these dads. I was like, you know, what you're doing may work. I don't know. But all I do know is that how am I going to say, no, you can't play with all these kids that are outside throwing water balloons how 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 is that gonna work yeah i'm with you i'm with you how's that gonna work how's that gonna work no you can't they're just gonna be how are they gonna it's like all i want to do is play now i know that as they're playing in those environments that if all of a sudden one kid comes up with a phone then they're just playing water balloons the next thing you know okay can show something that can happen but i can't live in that that state of neuroses and fear Right. I can't do that. I'm, I don't know if what I'm doing is in the end going to work. And ultimately what I do is I consecrate my children to our lady's immaculate heart and believe that her guidance and her love and her care being the mother of God, praying and interceding for them. There could be in no better hands than her because all she has to do is ask her son and whatever she asks him, she'll give her, you know, he'll give her to her, you know, and, you know, all I'm asking is for them to, to be, you know, to be close to God and then to live a life as best I can that, you know, Hey, we're going to pray. Let's pray the Angelus or, or it's Easter, the Regina Celli or pray the rosary together, say Hail Mary, take them to mass, take them, you know, ex- live the faith, live the faith. And, and, you know, and, and, and do that as best I can. I don't know, man. I mean, it's really hard. It's really, it's, it, it, it keeps me, it keeps me up at night and I know I'm not supposed to be fearful, but it's very difficult for me not to be. That sounds like a lot of the right things. I think, you know, there's a fine line between being aware and protecting them and then just totally over sheltering them. And you sound like you have a lot of really good strategies there and you've been very thoughtful about it. And from what I've seen with me, my parents, my family and cousins and friends, I think you're taking an approach that seems to work and wow, you've only been Catholic like three years. Right. And you know, all this, all this stuff, it's pretty amazing, man. Um, well, I was, well, the, the only thing I'll say to that, cause I would love to take some sort of like, I would love to pat myself on the back cause that's what my ego does. <laughs> but <laughs> um, it was a 15 year journey. So along the way, like I had already accepted that the church was exactly what it was, I would say a good five to 10 years before I took the steps, right? I mean, I took the steps. And, um, and so along that way, I'm learning, you know, I'm learning. 
So once I, once I kind of came into the church, I was already at a place where it's like what I learned, I learned I was already being catechized along the way. And so, and then it, it, it wasn't like, okay, well, like some people, well, they're doing it because for whatever reason, I don't know. I mean, you name it and they're just going with the flow. And then, and then as they're in and they're kind of, hopefully they're in a good parish and they start discovering and they start, you know, learning and growing by God's grace because they're living sacramentally. But I was, I, I was already learning so much. And I really, I really have to, you know, I, number one is the grace of God, but also is is my sister and her being this, you know, this relentless kind of force that wouldn't let go and challenging me and questioning my thoughts and feelings and theology, you know, that got me to like where I am. But I, but I, I mean, I am, you know, I, what, what I've learned, what I've learned more than anything else is, is uh, how little, how little I know, like really how little I know, like what, what I, like my, our Protestant brothers and sisters, what, what sometimes makes me sad is like, they don't know like, what they're missing. And one of the things they're missing is this incredible, amazing extended family and the saints, these people who lived, like we, we take Padre Pio. Padre Pio died in 1968, 1969, I think 68. And he's my patron saint that he had the wounds of Christ for 50 years. He could, he was a secloistered monk and could, would bilocate, you know, it's undeniable stories of people seeing him in their hospital room and they lived in the States or in Europe. And he said, come yeah. and see me. He, he, in confessions, he would read their minds, their, see their souls. Hey, oh, sorry to and, cut you off. We are out of time on the Zoom timer here. So thanks so much for coming on, man. You got it, man. All right. Uh, yeah, good stuff. That was fun. So, All right. We'll see you later. 